for pretty things by robert winton from detective story magazine december 10th 1918 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org read by dale grothman for pretty things by robert winton one two three old stephen burnt cackled and mumbled to himself as he turned his withered shaking palm sideways and one by one allowed three sparkling gems to fall on the table three beauties he gloated with senile quivering lips three drops of crystallized light of sun and moon when i die you pretty shall go with me into the deep cool grave in the darkness safe from the desire of some grasping stranger you will stay with me until dust returns to dust the old man's maudlin monologue spent itself in foolish vague and half-crazed mutterings his rummy eyes blinked with cunning avariciousness as he sought to feast his gaze with the scintillating glitter of his precious baubles he grumbled weakly and his shriveled fingers groped uncertainly for his hoard it seemed to him that the radiance of the stones that had been the comfort of his lonely selfish hours was not so brilliant as it had been my eyes must be going back on me he muttered i shed blood for you and now you won't shine for me like you used to do it ain't my eyes it's you that have grown dull what's the matter with you sparkle up pretty things i murdered a man to get you nobody knows that you are in my possession shine little fireflies you have been bathed in blood shine for the old man who has kept you warm on his heart for more than twenty years bah your light is dim stephen a shadow is creeping between you and your gems death is coming near but they shall not tear you away from me i will cheat them all still maundering and apostizing himself and his treasures the old man gathered up his diamonds and reluctantly dropped them into a worn and greasy leather bag he then tucked the bag inside his gray shirt and patted his thin bony chest safe he muttered no one knows no one guesses that poor stephen is worth a pile of money now i wonder if that dern girl has been spying on me trying to peek through the keyhole or listening to what i was saying i ain't been talking loud though and susan's a fool anyhow standing by his table the old man gnawed nervously at his broken discolored fingernails the haunted dread that his secret might be betrayed by some careless act of his own was again upon him the pleasure that he obtained by contemplating and pawing over his stones was more than counterbalanced by the condition of terror that always came over him with redoubled intensity after he had indulged his weakness the stolen diamonds were his pride and joy also they were a burden and source of never-ceasing anxiety shuffling over to the bolted door stephen bent stiffly and peered at the paper he had rammed into the keyhole 
It ain't been touched, he whispered, and with slow care quickly slipped back the bolt. There was a crafty, vicious gleam in his faded eyes as he opened the door with sudden quickness. It was his intention to surprise the girl he constantly suspected of spying on him, but even had Susan been at the door, the old man would not have caught her. He thought his movements were soundless, that he had given no hint of his approach to the door. But he was greatly mistaken. Deaf to the noise of his own footsteps and blind to the many opportunities he had given the girl for discovering his secret, old Stephen lived in a fool's paradise. Going slowly to the top of the stairs, he raised his voice in a querulous call. Susan, is supper ready? From the kitchen below came the sound of chair legs scraping on the uncovered boards. The door opened, and a shaft of lamplight illuminated the figure of a short, thick-set girl. She stuck her hands on her hips and stared up at the crabbed features of her stepfather. Don't ask fool questions, she said, brusquely. You know as well as I do it's been ready this hour and more. You heard me thump on the ceiling. Come on down. I'm sick of waiting. An attack of rage seized the old man, and when he stood in the bare, untidy kitchen, he shook a threatening fist in the girl's face. Don't you get fresh with me, he said loudly. Don't I feed you, clothe you? Ain't it my money that pays for your keep? You that is so dumb and stupid that you can't even get a job at washing dishes. Ah, shut up! retorted susan slamming a blackened dish on the table shove some of them beans in your jaw and claw on the moldy pork you expect me to eat but don't chew a rag with me i'm fed up with your nasty mean ways i'm a fool sure i am for staying around here when i might might what asked the old man jeeringly might ride in a limousine and dress in velvet and a wheezy gust of merriment was old Stephen Brunt's greeting to the girl's strange announcement. He cackled and leered at her anger, flushed face, and took no heed of the dangerous look in her cold eyes. Don't make me laugh, he pleaded in mock concern. You won't never ride in no gas tank, except it be a patrol wagon or a hearse. Shove over the bread and quit trying to be funny. While he ate his food and gulped the lukewarm coffee that Susan poured in the tin cup that stood at his elbow, old Stephen further elaborated on the girl's future. It was part of his evening recreation to taunt Susan and tease her with brutal words to the point of tears. With the meaninglessness of a diseased nature, the old man delighted in tormenting Susan. But although he tried to prod her with stinging words, he failed to bring a flash of rage into her sullen, dark eyes. It takes two to quarrel, and after a while Stephen tired of his one-sided argument. Crouched over the stove, his thoughts reverted to the girl's peculiar assertion. Limousine, he muttered in puzzled disgust. Now and again his hand rose stealthily to his chest, and he convinced himself by touching that his prized gems were safe in their hiding place. Pretty things, he whispered drowsily. Nobody dreams that old Stephen is mighty rich. Nine thousand dollars apiece. 
three nines are twenty-seven. Twenty-seven thousand dollars in shining diamonds, safe and warm. Ignoring the old man's mutterings, Susan stacked the dirty dishes in the sink, and leaving them to be washed later, she silently went out the back door. Susan had a date, and when she reached the corner of the house, the smell of cigarette smoke acquainted her with the fact that her friend was waiting for her. "'Old man asleep?' inquired a drunk, husky voice. "'As usual,' replied the girl. "'And, as usual, you've been boozing.' keep away from me jim you're a beast i only had a couple of glasses protested jim that ain't gonna hurt a fella none say i pulled off a cinch last night listen i got a wad as big as my fist get your hat and let's go take in a show come on you black-eyed cutie be a sport nothing doing retorted the girl tell me about last night what did you get a hatful of watches and rings boasted jim got away like a bird did you hock em not on your life kid say i ain't such a simp as to take a risk like that jim leaned closer but although the girl allowed his arm to encircle her ample waist she proved to be in no mood for love-making and light talk she wanted to know how he'd disposed of stolen property. Jim talked a little, but thought a lot. I'll bet a dollar, he reflected, that old miser has something hidden away that's worth having, and she wants to get a hold of them. Sue is mighty anxious to find out the name of a fence. Do I butt in and put one over on her, or do I not? I'm sick of her anyway and I may as well get something out of it before I cut loose. During the next three hours, Jim kept his foot on the brass rail, but, although he drank frequently, he exercised care to keep his head. Got another little job on hand, he confessed to the bartender. Good biz, maybe. Don't know yet. Gotta take a chance of landing a lemon once in a while soon after midnight the back door of stephen brunt's ramshackle framed house creaked slightly and yielded to the pressure of a skillfully applied jimmy silent as a cat jim crossed the kitchen listened for a moment at the door of susan's room and climbed the stairs he had made up his mind that whatever there was worth stealing would be hidden in the old man's room the bolt that Stephen never failed to push into its socket did not delay Jim's entry more than fifty seconds. Accustomed to forcing an entrance where steel doors and bars blocked his way, Jim found this as easy to accomplish as opening a box of candy would be to a child. The light of Jim's torch flitted about the room and, in its passing, rested momentarily on the bed. Partly covered by a torn quilt, the old man lay on his back, snoring. The light did not rest on him for more than a few seconds, but Jim's darting, searching gaze missed no detail. He saw enough to cause him to snap off his light and step nearer to the bed. Gently feeling, his fingers crept over the old man's chest and closed around the leather bag. He held a knife ready to cut the string that was looped about Stephen's craggy neck. 
the deed was as good as done the bag all but in jim's possession when a metallic clatter on the floor caused the old man to wake with a shrill scream of alarm startled by the accident jim stepped back and his heel came down on the cylindrical torch that had fallen from his pocket and betrayed his presence he tried to save himself from slipping but the old man's clutching fingers hampered his effort to recover his balance he fell and dragged with him the cursing old man a furious struggle followed crazed by rage and fear of discovery jim let loose all his strength in bestial brutality he secured a murderous clutch on the old man's throat and his hold did not relax until he felt his victim become suddenly limp then when it was too late jim let the body fall and grope for his torch the bulb glowed and revealed the horror that his hands had done D -d dead he stuttered the look of victory was wiped from his face as he stared down at the distorted features he felt no remorse for his deeds but in common with other murderers he showed the cowardly streak in him and trembled with heart-gripping panic he jerked himself erect ready to take instant flight then again the leather bag caught his eye and greed nerved him to wrench it free may as well have what i came for he muttered callously he was amazed and joyful when he opened the bag and three stones glittered in his hand i'll bet he stole them muttered jim and little knew that he was near the truth and that fate had chosen him as the instrument of vengeance for the crime that stephen brunt had committed over twenty years ago me for the woods he added and padded softly to the door must have made a racket if that dern girl woke up i'll have to do another job the door slammed below jim heard a quick rush of feet and a woman screaming in abandonment to hysteria sue mumbled jim crouching in the dark he strove to collect his alarmed thoughts and plan a way of escape he could frame no idea except the pressing necessity for flight he blundered down the stairs frantic to get out a man's shout and susan's accusing repeated outcries of murder that's him rang out simultaneously as jim tore down the street as he ran he glanced over his shoulder she's got a cop he gasped then plunged on unheeding of the policeman's order to stop bullets began to spatter on his trail the third shot found lodgment in the murderer's knee he floundered and sprawled on his face his race was done at the station house jim listened bitterly to a mocking story he had killed a man pledged his own life to atonement in the electric chair for nothing the gems that stephen had fondled and played with were only paste duplicates of the diamonds he had doted on it was susan who told the surprising story i stole them over a month ago she confessed my stepfather left his bag on his table and i took the real diamonds and put in three imitations that i had picked out of a brooch i bought on purpose for when my chance should come for years i knew he had them he half starved me and never gave me a moment's peace 
I was going to sell them and run away. Now? Curse you, exclaimed Jim. All along you've been stringing me? That's why you wanted to find out the name of a fence. That's enough, the lieutenant interrupted sharply. That'll be all from you now. The rest can wait until morning. You'll get all that's coming to you later. Hand over the diamonds, young woman. We'll look up their history and see if we can place them where they belong. When the real and false stones were ranged on his desk, the lieutenant summed up Susan's part. A clever girl, was his comment. No wonder the old man couldn't discover the trick she played on him. They're exactly the same size, and his eyes were failing him. I suppose she counted on that. The real ones must be worth a pile of money. I guess we won't have much of a job tracing them back to their rightful owner. The End of Pretty Things by Robert Winton